0: If you're 33 three years old and you've won three championships and four MVPs and have, and have take, gone to the finals eight straight years and established yourself as one of the greatest players of all time, it's okay at age 33 to make a decision that's not 100% about basketball. Welcome to the Sports Business Radio Podcast. I'm your host,
1: Brian Berger. You can find the Sports Business Radio Podcast over 14 years, 500 episodes featuring conversations with people like Mark Cuban, David Stern Jeannie Bus Charles Barkley Jack Nicholas and Kyrie Irving on iTunes or at sportsbusinessradio.com we're ranked in the top 100 of the business news podcast section on iTunes follow us in between podcasts on Twitter at SB radio we've been named a top 50 followed by forbes.com for three consecutive years and on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. Well, thanks for joining us on this week's podcast. Coming up on the show today, we've got Brian Windhorst, a terrific reporter for ESPN. He covers the NBA. He's been following LeBron James since 1999. Brian and I have known each other for, gosh, almost 20 years. It's always great to get his insight. We'll talk LeBron James. Are the Golden State Warriors going to be able to stay together after this year when Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, our free agents, we'll discuss that as well. And what might the future of the NBA look like with an integrity fee? What will that do for contracts? That's all coming up with Brian Winhorst on our podcast today. Uh, Sandra Greer, the Insight Director with MKTG, they did a really fascinating report, Frontier 2018, There's a survey based on interviews with 500 sponsorship professionals in the sports and entertainment industry. Some really interesting findings there. We'll discuss those with her as well. So definitely stay tuned for the duration of this week's edition of Sports Business Radio. My guest is Brian Windhorst. He covers the NBA for ESPN. Long-time LeBron James expert. Brian and I have known each other since the late 1990s. You can follow him on Twitter, at ESPN. He's been a guest on this show many times before. Brian, how are you? I'm well, thank you very much. Thank you for doing this. I know this is your crazy time of the year. Let's start with your friend LeBron. Uh, not many people surprised that he wound up with the Lakers. What did surprise me, though, is that he signed a three plus one deal. He's been doing one plus one deals. Were you surprised that he committed to the Lakers for longer than the one plus one?
0: Yeah, it's, it's not just the contract, Brian. Um, you know, in Cleveland, not only did he not give them a, a long rope in terms of years on a contract, but he also really wanted there to be veterans on the team. Uh, you know, he really was more interested in having veterans who could help him win today, um, than developing younger players for tomorrow. Which, by the way, I, I totally understand. Um, he, you know, numerous times, especially over the last season, talked about we need to get the most out of this year. We got to get the most out of this season, which I took as code for I don't have that many left at my top level. I need to, to squeeze it out. And so he ends up going to L.A., giving them way more rope than he ever gave Cleveland, at least in his second uh, stretch with them, and joining a team that was primarily made up of young players and cap space where they could be something as opposed to wanting something now. It's a pretty big philosophy uh, switch uh, for him. I think there's probably several reasons why. I think one... I don't think I think he felt like beating the Warriors was going to be difficult anywhere next year. So the, the the concept of there being a win now option may not have been as pressing because maybe that wasn't there, although there was more win now options available than the Lakers. And the second thing and maybe the most important thing, Brian, I think he just wanted to be in LA. Right. And not necessarily because he wants to make movies or anything like that. I just think Los Angeles is a desirable place to live. For decades, we have seen players want to play in L.A. We will see it for decades more, from Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to Will Chamberlain to Shaquille O'Neal to Kobe Bryant, who didn't want to play in Charlotte at the start of his career. Um, That's where he wanted to be. And that may end up being the ultimate explanation, and it really doesn't leave any out or any wiggle room for interpretation that he may, that's the way he may frame it.
1: Well, and for people who don't follow this closely, uh, you know this, and and others in the business know this, many of LeBron's colleagues, business colleagues, were already living in Los Angeles, so he's essentially joining them already in progress, because they were already there. So. You know, this is kind of fits with, with that. And he has two houses there. So again, this isn't a shock. I think the most surprising thing to me was that he did, you know, more than a one plus one deal for Genie Buss and Magic Johnson. This is big validation for what they've been trying to build in the last, uh, year or two. Do you think this helps them attract other players in the future, whether it's uh, Kawhi Leonard, Clay Thompson, someone like that next summer?
0: It's an interesting question. Uh, I don't know where LeBron is in terms of drawing a card these days um, you know Kyrie Irving basically said i don't wanna I don't wanna play with him anymore and you know Kyrie is his own character um he's not he doesn't fit into a lot of average buckets, you know what I mean, um but he opted out, you know not literally, but basically opted out um, Paul George had an opportunity to play for the Lakers this summer. Um, his hometown team and to come as not being the number one star so he wouldn't have had to maybe catch the entire burden um, in potentially a glorious moment and he opted to stay in Oklahoma City and not sign the five year max his his financial motivation for staying in Oklahoma City he didn't even take full advantage of um, yeah and we, we one- saw your
1: reaction when that deal was announced that went viral yeah. That was that was very funny Brian
0: yeah, so, um, uh, so you know, Paul George and Kyrie Irving have both, in the last year, two prime players that both said, hey, I, you know, I'm going to do this over here or I want to do this over here. And that's not necessarily like – I don't want to make it sound like that, that that was the number one thing with Paul and Kyrie, that it was like, I won't play with LeBron James no matter what. But I'm just saying the concept that LeBron is going to open up his arms next summer and the free agents are going to come zooming in – that may not be one hundred percent accurate. No, there may be a fit or two that makes sense uh, that can build the team. But he's very much in terms of in terms of championship building. He's very much uh, going speculative. This is this is a, this is a spec franchise uh, in a lot of ways. And the the concept that the LeBron group is selling is that this is not new, that when he he came back to Cleveland that that was speculative. And I just think that that's not accurate. Uh, He knew that Kyrie Irving was there. Kyrie was a multi-time All-Star who had just committed five years to the franchise um, and was was instantly the best player he would have ever played with in Cleveland when he came back. And within hours of him committing to the Cavs, he had Kevin Love in the fold. It took six weeks for the trade to actually go down, but they basically pulled that in within hours. So the team that LeBron joined was way better in Cleveland. Um, And they will pound the table and say, no, no, he came back to Cleveland because it was sentimental and he felt a longing to win a championship for his hometown. And I'm not saying that's incorrect. I'm just saying that the team that he came back to was really good, and that played a factor in his decision to do it in 2014. He could have stayed in Miami and competed for championships a few more years uh, and could still come back to Cleveland. So um, it's a real shift for him. And they keep saying that it's a basketball decision, or at least Rich Paul, his agent, has said that several several interviews. And I just disagree with that. I I don't think it's a basketball decision. And by the way, Brian... If you're thirty three three years old and you've won three championships and four MVPs and have and have taken to the finals eight straight years and established yourself as one of the greatest players of all time, it's okay at age thirty three to make a decision that's not hundred percent about basketball. He's earned the right to do that. Um I just don't I just think it's being a little disingenuous if he sells it any, any in any other way.
1: Yeah, I agree. And and look, I haven't bought the narrative since the whole coming home thing went down and Most people who are in the know, like we are, know that LeBron and Dan Gilbert, even though they you know, made things work there for a few years when he returned, they were not on the greatest of terms, and to me, it came down to he didn't want to play for Dan Gilbert anymore, and he wanted to live in L.A., and his kids wanted to live in L.A., and his family wanted to live in L.A., and there's nothing wrong with that. That's why you're a free agent. But I think you bring up a really good point, that LeBron is a dominant personality, and when you go to his team, it's his team, so you better be able to play second or third or fourth fiddle because if you're not that's not really the the scenario that you're stepping into so it will be interesting to see next summer I mean what if Clay Thompson, who you know at that point has maybe won four championships, goes to uh, L.A. and plays where his dad did, or, you know, Kawhi, I've read mixed reviews on whether he really wants to play with LeBron. Sometimes you hear he does, other times you hear he doesn't. You probably know more about that than anyone else, but LeBron's not an easy guy to play with, I guess, is what I'm trying to say.
0: Yeah, and I think, um, you know, that's, <laughs> that's one of the things, you know, Philadelphia, for example, um, a lot of people thought Philadelphia made a lot of sense for LeBron. Um, and I know that Joel Embiid on Twitter was recruiting LeBron. Right. But I'd like to know what Joel Embiid's real feelings are. Yeah. Because the, the last two big men who played alongside LeBron were, were stars, were, were Chris Bosh and, and Kevin Love. And those guys have rings on their fingers, and, uh, and LeBron was a major reason why. And so they were happy to be his teammate, but asked him if life was simple for them. And it was not. It was hard to be a big man next to LeBron. It, it, LeBron makes it hard. It's it's a real challenge in a lot of different ways. So um, I don't know if Joel Embiid was at, at his age and his and where he's at in the league was ready to change his game dramatically, which is what I would have think, which was what I was thought, and um, change his entire profile on his team and go from being JoJo, the guy everybody loves, to how come that guy can't hit a shot under pressure? Uh, hey, uh, Embiid only, he, he took nine shots and only scored seven points. What's his problem? You know, like that's what was happening with Bosh and Love. You know, so uh, I'm not so sure that Joel Embiid was that excited about the prospect of LeBron being on his team. Um, but, you know, it, 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 the, the, the thing about it is, Brian, is it, it took a long time for, te- for a team to learn how to build a roster around LeBron. The Cavs went through numerous experiments um, in his first seven years there. They started getting close to it at the end. They had two 60-win teams that weren't built for the playoffs at the end. The Heat figured out, um, and basically what you need to have is you need to have shooters upon shooters upon shooters to create space, and then you need to be able to have um, guys who are versatile defensively um who can play multiple positions defensively that style won him three titles and got him to a whole bunch of more finals um the way the lakers want to play defensively they have that but offensively they don't have that sort of specialists and so we'll see whether or not going against the grain ends up making sense for him
1: yeah it's going to be interesting for luke walton next year uh So is this the last time, the last season, that we're going to see the Warriors is currently constructed? Uh, As we said, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green become free agents next year. Steph and KD are already signed. KD becomes a free agent next year, too. With the money being what it is, the cap being what it is, are they going to be able to keep those four together beyond this season?
0: It's going to be a point that's discussed. You know, I know that Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr was a part of two, was one dynasty with the Bulls that completely ran out of steam after three years, uh, literally broke up, and then he went to San Antonio and won some rings and saw that sort of retrofit itself. Um, he's always been cognizant of the stress that winning championships brings to an organization. It's a wonderful stress. It's something that you want, but he's always been cognizant of it. And I think he's already, I think they've already exceeded what he thought. Um, so uh, I think the real issue for them is going to be how to keep things fresh, uh, how to keep things entertaining because the, the regular season will be, if you thought last year was a slog, this regular season will be even worse for them. And it's one of the reasons why I think they they were interested in DeMarcus Cousins was because even though I'm not necessarily wholly in belief that this is going to work, it does introduce an element that potentially could unite the team a little bit, which right. is to rally around his recovery. And um, there, there, it does make some sense. I could still go wrong, but uh, it's going to be a challenge. It's, it's always a challenge. I mean, Jordan... One, two, three peats, and he bailed out after both of them. This is one of the most competitive people ever, and he didn't bail out. You know, we still don't exactly know what happened after the first one, but after the second one, he wasn't done, but he was mentally done. And you know, Phil Jackson, after that second three peat, you know, he left. You know, just it's 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 wondrous the way that. Um you know I've seen it with the Heat and then with the Cavs on a day-to-day basis competing year after year after year even though that's what you want and you want to get to the mountaintop it just completely exhausts everything about the franchise I've I've um I've called it uh, organizational fatigue uh that was absolutely the case in Miami absolutely the case in cleveland and it's it's got many components brian it's it's you've traded away your draft picks so you don't have as many young players it's um the pat riley disease of me or disease of more where guys as they elevate in their profession and we see this in all walks uh, of life but as they elevate in their profession they want more more salary more shots more attention more of everything it's the natural order of things and that sort of zaps up because early on you're you're sacrificing to win, and as you as you mature as a team, the disease of more kicks in it's the fans you know they get desensitized you win all this winning there's not as much excitement about it it's it's difficult to maintain, and the league was not designed to have you know as the same team I know that you know in the history of the NBA we've seen dynasties, but we haven't seen the same teams in the play, in the finals four years in a row Right, that doesn't happen you see them over the course of five or six years maybe make it three times but you know the Celtics did it in the 80s and until the Cavs and Warriors or actually until the Heat we didn't see it happen again four times in a row to the final um, and then before that you got to go back to the 60s with the Celtics it just doesn't happen very often. It's not the it's not the nature of the game of basketball, especially in the free agency era. So the the Warriors are not just fighting the opponent on the court; they're fighting to the hold off organizational fatigue and also just the 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 pressures and everything that go along with a long playoff run. It's it's um, you know the playoffs last two months. It's the most taxing playoff in um, of the three major sports, uh, without question. So um, it's it, the whole thing is a is a big long fight.
1: Hiring can be really challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash SBR. Did you know that ZipRecruiter is the official hiring partner of college athletic departments such as Florida State, UCLA, and USC, and pro sports teams such as the NHL Chicago Blackhawks and the Washington Capitals? ZipRecruiter sends your job to over a hundred of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply for your job. As the applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site, within the first day. With results like that, it's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is the highest rated hiring site in America. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash SBR. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash SBR, like sports business radio. ZipRecruiter.com slash SBR, the smartest way to hire. Well, and you would think for them to be able to bring KD, Dre, and Clay back, someone's going to have to take a pay cut because they can't give max deals to all three of those guys, can they? And Steph's already on a max deal.
0: Well, I've seen the Warriors' books. They are doing fantastically well um, despite being in probably the most revenue-challenged arena in the league. The footprint of the arena is so small that they've had difficulty – they haven't had they've they've done it, but they've had to get real creative and. And that's and, changing. And They're
1: moving into their new arena, right?
0: Right, right. And actually, I think that's what I think is going to happen. That arena is such an incredible home court advantage. Um, one of the things that's going to happen in the new arena is the the amenities that are going to be available to the incredibly wealthy folks who now have no have limited places to go besides the court. Uh, it's going to zap that home court. And, I, I mean, they have to do it. They have to move on. I think it's the oldest arena in the league. I mean, you know, there's a couple of structures that are older. Madison Square Garden is older, but it's gone through m- reno- complete renovation since since Oracle has. Um, you know, it's one of the things, you know, in Toronto, for example, they've installed these um, beautiful uh, bunker uh, suites where fans who sit in the first few rows on each side um, can open an app on their phone and order a steak to be ready at halftime and they go in there into these these beautiful situations these beautiful uh, suites underneath the stands you're not rushing back out after 15 minutes and so you get these playoff games these vitally important games and the lower bowl or you know especially around the court is empty into the third quarter it's one of the reasons why the raptors kind of believe that They've struggled at times at home in the playoffs because their their fans sort of disappear. As great as that environment is, and you know these you know I've heard, I haven't seen them yet, but I've heard about these suites that they've, they're constructing. They're going to be the some of the best in the world. These these suites that are near the are near the court are going to have their own wine cellars. Um, you know, good. I mean, you know, there's all these theories about how you get fans back out. You you turn off the TVs. At, you know, after the end of halftime or whatever, you sort of try to force them out. But um, for the Warriors to afford this, and also for the Warriors to pay for the building, the Warriors are uh, Joe Joe Lacob and Peter Guber and, and their investors are building this structure on their own. Um, it, it's going to be a billion plus dollars to to have purchased the land, cleared the land, and constructed this this uh, Chase Center, which will be the premium arena in the world when it opens. They've got to recoup that, you know. Um, they're, they're, my expectation, Brian, is that when the new arena opens, that they will possibly challenge or pass the Lakers as the leading revenue generators in the league. The Lakers are there because um, uh, of their incredible local television deal. Right. Um, the $3
1: Lakers, billion. Dollars.
0: Yeah. you know The Warriors local television deal is not as lucrative. I think the Lakers is roughly two and a half times as big um, and that's a big factor also the, but, 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 but the Lakers are not the primary tenant of their building. They have to share a little bit with the Clippers. The, the, the Clippers deal is terrible. It's one of the worst in all of professional sports which is why Steve Ballmer wants his own building. But they also got to share with the Kings and so they got to share with the AEG. Um, you know, the Lakers are, are down the trough in terms of revenue at their building the warriors and and you know and the operating company that will run the arena they're going to be first at the trough and so whether or not the the money falls into the the bucket of the Warriors and they can declare the revenue champions. The Warriors are going to be the revenue juggernauts in the league when this new arena opens and they're pricing a lot of their fans out. They have one of this they have one of the most incredible, fascinating PSL deals I've ever seen, um, where you have to pay a thirty thousand dollar I think it's per seat loan and you get the money back, I think in thirty years or twenty five years. It's wow. kind of laughable. It's kind of laughable. Um, uh, <laughs> they, they basically, they're taking a zero interest loan uh, from their from their premium fans, but the desire for the Warriors to be good is so strong, and they know that their team is going to be good. So, you're asking, uh, Brian, whether they can afford it. The value of keeping that ticket is the hottest ticket in the NBA when they move over there is so important that even if they have a $400 million payroll, that it's a good investment to do that. And so I think when push comes to shove, uh, the Warriors will pay whatever money is needed. And and that's why I'm sort of fascinated by Kevin Durant quote-unquote giving money, leaving money on the table to help his teammates out. I just don't believe that that's true. Um, it's a beautiful story to tell, to say, oh my God, Kevin Durant left Ten million on the, ten million dollars on the table this year, and five million, million on the table next year, um, and uh, that money gets to go to Andre Iguodala, and then it gets to go to Boogie Cousins. That's just not true. It's a nice narrative to tell, um, but they're just saving Joe Lacob. And Peter Guber luxury tax dollars because it's not a hard cap system. Um, in, you know when um, when LeBron and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh signed in Miami in 2010, they were operating at a salary cap. Um, those were all free agents. They had a limited amount of money they could spend on their free agents. So when they all took less money to afford Mike Miller and Udonis Haslam, that was interteam revenue sharing that, that the, the money that, that they took less on their contracts directly went to Udonis Haslam's check because the team was dealing with a salary cap because all of the Warriors players are already on the team and they have their rights even Durant they had his rights um they could have re-signed him to the max it's it, it's not about fitting under a cap there is no cap so they're just saving the owners money. Now the owners can come back and say, "Well, that's true, but there is a finite amount that we could that we can spend. There's only a certain amount we can spend." And I would say, "Yes, but you're not going to cut corners on Kevin Durant." So it's interesting, and it's just another way that the Warriors have have they've they've, they've thought out so many things, and they've. They've had a lot of fortune come their way, but they've also taken such great advantage of it. Um, They've taken advantage of Kevin Durant wanting some positive press about leaving money on the table uh, because Durant, for some reason, is a little bit thin-skinned when it comes to his reputation, even though he's probably the second-best player in the league and doesn't know anybody anything. Um, And so it's been fascinating to watch their finances, but I can assure you, and I can assure Mr. Durant, the Warriors have the money. They are wildly profitable in, uh, in that situation. They're, they're Despite um, not having anything near the arena set up to maximize their revenue, they bring in tens of millions of dollars per playoff game. And um, now, again, they would argue, Brian, well, we need that money to build the arena across the way, which is costing us a billion dollars. And I'm like, okay, whatever. But you know, they have the money and they are incentivized to spend it. And if the Warriors get broken up, I do not think it will be because the owners aren't willing to pay that to write the checks.
1: Brian, we have about two minutes left. Uh, there, we've seen that betting is now legalized in the United States. The NBA has talked about an integrity fee. How could that impact signings in the future and mainly the length of deals that players sign? For instance, you know, let's say this integrity fee goes into effect in the next 2 years, next summer when you've got Kawhi, KD, Kyrie Irving, Clay, Boogie, Draymond on the market, might they sign short deals in order to wait for that influx of cash to come in like when the TV money came in?
0: No, I don't think it's going to be that way. I think the integrity fee was a pie-in-the-sky effort by the league to try to get their hands on a cut of this money. The Where the teams are going to benefit from it is in sponsorship. I think it'll eventually be jersey sponsorship. I think you won't see banks and websites on that, on that shirt. It'll be casinos soon mm. enough, and that's where they'll benefit from it. Um, there are a couple of countries out there that have the integrity fee, um, the only way that they're getting it, because they've been ho- very unsuccessful going state to state. They're trying They spent a lot of money on lobbyists, but it's not working. And I knew it was going to be a long shot. Uh, their best bet is is someday getting a f- the federal law. Right. And instead of, or instead of arguing in front of 50 different state houses or 30 or however many, you only have to basically bribe. And I'm saying that sort of tongue in cheek, but you only yeah. have to get in the pockets of, you know, one legislative body as opposed to the entire state, or the entire country. Or, uh, I'm sorry, state by state. And so that's where they're going to get their bite at the apple to see if they can get it in the federal. And we are so far away. I mean, we, our federal government right now can't pass a measure of the day of the week, right. you know, barely. So we're not going to see the seeing that anytime soon. So I don't think there's going to be an influx. I think the league is going to monitor the situation. The only thing that they could do, Brian, the league could open its own casino. And some people would have even talked to me about the league starting its own currency a la Bitcoin wow. where you, you wager with the league's currency, you buy tickets with the league's currency, you buy jerseys with the league's currency, you pay for league pass with the league's currency and they create their own cryptocurrency where they basically become their own casino. But that is a huge undertaking that would be way down the road Um, But that may ultimately be the only way that they're going to be able to really get in on this in a big way. However, like with FanDuel and DraftKings, we saw a big flow of money that came in in advertising and sponsorship dollars. And I do think that could affect the bottom line a little bit in a positive way. Uh, It certainly will affect the way possibly the partners bid Uh, The the television partners bid and present the games, and the league is going to have something to say on that. But the concept of, in the the short term, there being another bounce in the salary cap, because of it, I don't think that's going to happen.
1: Brian Windhorst does a great job covering the NBA for ESPN. Follow him on Twitter, at Windhorst. ESPN, Brian, thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks, Brian. Have a good day. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Sports Business Radio is sponsored by Boingo Wireless, the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S. Today's sports fans expect strong, fast mobile connections at their favorite stadiums. Research shows that fans will leave at halftime if they cannot get connected, which is part of the reason why professional and collegiate sports venues alike work with Boingo to manage their wireless networks. As the world's leading connectivity expert, Boingo knows how to make a venue's vision for the connected fan experience a reality. They are the only company that can provide end-to-end wireless service so teams can focus on the big game, not on their network. Boingo designs, installs, and manages Wi-Fi and cellular networks at university stadiums like K-State and the University of Houston and major league venues like Soldier Field, Phillips Arena, and Vivint Smart Home Arena. We're excited to showcase how technology is changing the business of sports led by companies like Boingo. Boingo connects you to the people and things you love, like sports. For more information, visit Boingo.com or email sports at Boingo.com. My guest is Sandra Greer. She is the insight director for MKTG. They're longtime friends of the show. You can find them on Twitter at MKTG. There's a report called Frontier. 2018, based on a survey of over 500 sponsorship professionals in the sports and entertainment industry worldwide, and Sandra is going to tell us some of the findings of this report, some interesting things. How are you? I'm very well, thank you very much. Thank you for joining us from uh, London. What is it? I think we've got like an eight-hour difference.
2: Eight hours, yep.
1: And I know uh, England gave it a pretty good run there in World Cup. You guys are pretty excited, right?
2: Yes, we had hopes. We had hopes, but uh, we did pretty well. We did pretty well. We did we'll really be, well. Uh, yeah, we'll be we'll be ready on form for the Euros. So in a couple of years' time. So we we had a young team, and uh, hopefully uh, we prepared them.
1: So let's dig into the Frontier 2018 report that you guys did. Uh, Growth in the sponsorship market. I know that's something that we're continuing to see trend upward. Tell us a little bit more about that.
2: Well, we've always seen people being very optimistic about the the sponsorship industry, and it it continues to be so as it becomes accepted as a marketing channel it's it's fought very hard over the years to to become part of marketing um, and separate from advertising but it's really rallying rallying its cause Um, but what we're really seeing not only is it growth in people getting involved as they realize it can actually achieve quite a few objectives and reach very different audiences and engage but it's actually expanding um, in many different ways, in in what is becoming um, termed in the sponsorship arena. So, you know, we've got esports coming in. So we've got sort of new sports coming in that need sponsors. Um, we've got things like women's sport, which is a very big area here, certainly, and growing globally um, as. Women are seen very much as role models, great ambassadors and a very, very good way of reaching certain markets, particularly families, etc. We've got much wider use of sponsorship in other ways, for example, corporate social responsibility programs that were originally just sort of in a corporate budget. They've become more commercial in a way and being sponsored and and achieving clear objectives for sponsors. We've got employee engagement. That's really, really useful as uh, people want to uh, keep their employees loyal. Um, and retain them because of the cost of uh, recruitment is going up and you want to keep the best employees and sponsorship offers some great assets for that area and you know, wider and wider is this area of um, brand ambassadors as um, people and athletes become great role models again for people to, to um, sponsor and go in on a B2B basis not just on a consumer basis there's a lot more brand ambassadors talking at conferences etc and uh, going to events to talk to hospitality guests so sponsorship is growing in terms of the way it it growth in revenue but it's it's really come from lots and lots of different areas coming in and it's not just that badging exercise of uh, a name on a shirt or or a billboard around a, a pitch
1: now, the other thing the Frontier 2018 report discusses, some of the findings in there, is the value of social media around sponsorship and really enhancing and amplifying the sponsorship campaign around social media. Can you dig in on that a little bit?
2: Yeah, so social media in the last few years, well, um, last 10 years really has grown and it 's become a very easy way to um, amplify um, a sponsorship and uh People can access it very well. They can target their particular audiences. Um, they can talk content, give content out, etc. And it really, really is, has grown enormously. And it's now the number one um, activation platform for sponsors. The only area that it, there is a challenge of is really getting that authenticity of engagement with people. Right. It's still not that touchy feely. Um, element that people are there. But it's a great one for reach um, in terms of getting quite big numbers. Um, it's certainly good for the younger audience and, I, and people need to really understand their audiences as who does engage with social media. So it has um, grown enormously, as I say. The, uh, the challenge is this engagement, which is why we've also seen on the, the flip side, weirdly enough, is uh, a growth in getting real Um, in terms of actual live events and experiences on the ground that people can get that touch and feel the brand and experience the brand in that way. And um, one of our findings was that um, nine out of ten believe that the audiences they're trying to reach are actually trying to um, demanding experiences rather than things. Hmm. Um, So that really, really is growing in that area as well.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I, I see a lot of brand ambassadors, as you call them, uh, mm. plugging things and, and, you know, being part of sponsorship campaigns. But A, you want the authenticity, right? Like you want to actually believe that the person touting that is, is, uh, authentically aligned with that company. But then, yeah, I, we also see that too, uh, just the growth of experiential events and that people want memories versus you know something that you can put in their hand. They want something that they can bring their colleagues to, or bring their family to, bring their friends to, and and that's much more memorable and sticky for them than anything else.
2: I, I think that's right, and as it does cover it does cover employees, consumers, hospitality guests. So hospitality is changing. That's where those ambassadors are in the box talking to people. They've got that connection. They might be past players. They can talk them through it. But it is those memories and it is, if you just think of, if you want to go and watch a big event, um, it, it's everyone around you that really makes it. A solitary person on on your phone, you know, following something on social media isn't the same as that huge involvement with everybody when you're actually at that event and being there. And the fan parks around that you can go there. Good for good for the brands because they can actually showcase their brands as well. And we're seeing a rise in that where where people can showcase their their particular products and services in order for people to, to see them uh, in real life. So it is, I think memories is a really, really good word. Um, then they can share it on social media. Right. That's when it really gets really good because then they've taken their pictures and mo- a lot of the experiential events connect to social media, ask you to share, use the hashtag, etc. So the amplification of that one experience that might reach maybe 100,000 people at one big event or 5,000, at a small event then amplifies enormously as it's shared uh, amongst the right audience because people share with like-minded people, which gives another really good effect to the sponsor.
1: Last thing we'll discuss is when people embark on these campaigns and they make these expenditures, they want to be able to measure the return on investment. Did this work? Did I engage the people? Was my brand memorable? What are you finding about that? (laughs)
2: Well, wow. <laughs> to be fair, it's, it could be better. Uh, across brands, rights holders and agencies, and it was similar across all of them, about a fifth um, actually said they were confident that they could measure the business value of return, which is disappointing in many ways. I think it goes back to um, the social media side. There's lots of metrics that people gather Um, How many people? um, How many impressions, likes, etc. Which is great, and you get well. um, A thousand people came to this event uh, using attendance data, and we classify that really as metrics. I.e., it's substantiating the the assets that you've had, and that you um, have got KPIs against them that you wanted to reach X, Y, and Z. But ultimately. You went into that sponsorship for a reason and a business reason. Similar to if you were doing an advertising campaign or a marketing or PR campaign, it would be something around the brand that you wanted to shift brand values, raise awareness, actually get more transactions if you really could. And that's the area that people tend to be missing in terms of the evaluation side. Going back to their original objectives, and being able to evaluate it so from our point of view what we do is we start right at that beginning stage whenever we're talking to anyone whether they're in a selection process um, and as we go through we we set targets but they have to implement um, different types of research in order to go back to find that out it might be from their brand trackers um, that they can measure awareness of the brand of those who were exposed to the particular sponsorship. They may well um, put in place a special sponsorship tracker, which is quite frequent, where they can see those exposed. Even attendance um, surveys are undertaken where people who have sampled the product at the event are they more likely to buy that product in the future because they've been there those are the types of metrics that we really really are looking for uh to be measured so that when it comes to the end of the time or the break clause is is due in a contract someone can actually go up to the chief exec and say you know what we've got this far with our objectives but we're not quite there yet um, we'd like to um carry on for another couple of years or we've achieved our objectives but we can now, we believe we can do different types of objectives Uh, and move that on. So that that was a disappointing area um, on that. I actually presented the the findings at um, a sponsorship conference and asked everyone to to vote before I gave them results. And it was a similar figure for those in the room, which Hmm. was, um, it it was surprising to them uh, as well, that they didn't really have that confidence to be able to do it uh, across. And it is across brands, rights holders, and agencies who should be putting that in place on behalf of the brands.
1: Interesting stuff. So where can people find the Frontier 2018 report if they wanted to read more of the findings?
2: Well, they can email me. They can um, email um, MKTG in the in the States, um, and I can give you those um, email addresses. I'll have to do that later, Brian. Um, but otherwise, it should be on MKTG.com.
1: That's great. And again, on Twitter at MKTG, on Instagram at MKTG, as well. Sandra Greer, uh, insight director for MKTG, really fascinating stuff. I know you worked really hard on this report and uh, good findings. Thank you so much for joining us on Sports Business Radio. Thank you, Brian. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back.
0: Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. Bringing you the biggest names in sports business.
1: Without further ado, we all know this gentleman. Let's give David Stern a big round of applause. Let's welcome the president of the NCAA, Mark Emmert. Give him a hand. Let's give a big hand to USC alum and co-owner of the Lakers and president of the Lakers, Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. Thank you so, so much for having me, Brian. It was very, very kind and I really enjoyed it. Thank you, sir. Sir Charles, how are you? I'm doing good, man. How you doing this morning? Today's guest is Memphis Grizzlies head coach David Fizdale. You're the man, Barrett. My guest is tennis icon Chris
0: Everett. He was very interesting. You ask great questions, so thank you very much, Brian.
1: Pleased to welcome to the show. Kyrie Irving, the number one pick in the 2011 NBA draft. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm happy to be joined by Pete Carroll, the executive VP of football operations and the head football coach of the Seattle Seahawks. Coach, how are you? Doing good. What's going on? Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure.
0: Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio.
1: Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to Hadley Heck. She's a student athlete at Portland State University, and she's our new Sports Business Radio intern. Thanks to our friends at Boingo Wireless for powering our Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Follow them online at boingo.com or on Twitter at Boingo. Thanks to our friends at MKTG. You can find them on Twitter at MKTG. Their website is MKTG.com. They're a global lifestyle marketing agency, 33 offices in 19 countries, a leading sports sponsorship and activation agency. Make sure to check them out at MKTG.com. I want to welcome ZipRecruiter to our family of sponsors. Again, really happy to have them on board. My listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash SBR. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash SBR. Happy to have them on board. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast. Go to iTunes, type in Sports Business Radio. We're rated in the top 50 business news podcasts. You can also find our show on audio boom via the TuneIn radio and stitcher apps. And of course at sportsbusinessradio.com. Follow me on Twitter in between shows at SB radio. Follow us on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio.